0: Hello, I'm Laura Ellsworth welcoming you to Prairie Dock Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605 692 1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer our medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for being here. Did you participate in the marathon weekend in any way? I volunteered this year. Okay. So, yeah,
1: me and my, my six year olds showed up and handed out water and cheered on the runners. So it was a pretty nice morning.
0: Yeah. But, yep. Yep. Great to I, see that event. Uh, back in action yes. after a delay this spring. Oh man, yeah, so yeah. We were talking Turned out to be
1: even ni- a nice morning actually yeah. too. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: we were talking about how that storm went through last May, and it feels like it was so much longer. it <laughs> yeah. was six months ago. <laughs> it feels like it was a long time ago. Yeah, but yeah, glad that they got to reschedule it, and yeah, had beautiful weather. Yeah for it and great to see all those runners out yeah. there being active and yeah
1: I, th- I saw one group and i'm not sure if they were running the half or the full marathon but it was someone who was picking up their 50th state of a race wow. so that was cool to see we always get you know lots of runners from out of state for our brookings marathon um and i'm sure this year was no different so, right yeah right mm-hmm.
0: yeah we uh the boy scouts had a spaghetti feed fundraiser the night before, and they kind of advertised to some of the runners. So they had some different runners coming through, and yeah, a runner from Hawaii was there. So it is amazing who mm-hmm. all comes to Brookings for this yeah. marathon event, yep. which is really, really yep. fun.
1: Yep. Congrats to the race committee and Dr. Matt Bean. Mm-hmm. Another good race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Great volunteer yes. effort there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to tell you, Dr. Evans, our son, Eli, is in seventh grade, and he is currently learning all about microscopes. So he brought home a worksheet where we had to label the different parts of the microscope. Uh And uh, last night he was going around the house trying to find five different things to bring to school to look at under a microscope. Uh, So your essay this week (laughs) is about the microscope (laughs) as well and what an important role that had. Yeah, you know, so I
1: am a total nerd for medical history. I think there are just so many fascinating stories about medicine and science and the thing you know how how people learned the things that we really take for granted as knowledge now long ago um and a lot of that has to do with microbiology you know for most of human history we didn't know that there were these tiny little unseeable things that you know caused disease but also did so many other things so the the discovery of the micros or the invention of the microscope i should say mm-hmm. was obviously a really important part of ultimately discovering germs and germ theory, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm constantly amazed when I think about, um, you know, how how do you how does one have an imagination to think. I need to see something that I can't see right now that's smaller and smaller. And so that here's how I'm going to try to do that. I mean, it's just, it blows my mind.
0: Right. Yeah. (laughs) That creative processing and problem solving to Mm -hmm. get to that, to get to that point. Well, tell us about germ theory and the history of all that.
1: You know, a lot of the history of medicine revolves around sort of this change to the acceptance of germ theory. Because, again, for most of human history, we didn't know about germs, right? And we certainly didn't know that this was what caused a lot of, especially at that time, a lot of the diseases that were so important in society. Um, So... prior to germ theory a lot of there've been a lot of theories depending on where people lived in the world and exactly what time and century a person lived in but the dominating theory prior to germ theory's acceptance which would have been in like the late 1800s was the theory of like miasma and good air and bad air okay. which you can imagine makes sense you know if there's an outbreak of cholera in the city of London you can probably try to make sense of that, right? Like bad air, this whole group of people... Was exposed to the same thing, and that's why they all got sick. Um, I feel like I've
0: seen in like old movies and things, yeah. like they put their babies by the window to right. get them this good fresh air. Right. And now we're like, right. Oh, the cold. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's some of it you can understand the logic behind right. that, um, but it's just because we didn't really un- know what under what the underlying cause of these diseases was. So, it required, you know, p- being able to see an organism under a microscope, which was, you know, and it's not something that we've always had the ability to do. Um, but also, You know some of these thinkers sort of figuring out how to prove that this thing that I see under the microscope actually is the cause of this disease that we are very familiar with in humans and sort of the scientific process around that. Um, But, you know, there were early thinkers who that wasn't accepted. You know, they were ultimately right about microbes, um, but the greater scientific community didn't accept it for quite a long time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love how you wrote in your essay about the 19th century biologist being worthy of blockbuster movies. Yeah, it's <laughs>
1: fascinating. I mean, I'm st- if you like history, like you should read about the, the, the lives and careers of some of these scientists. It's just it's amazing, again, to sort of go from a point of really not knowing this to, you know, these kind of these small labs figuring out these things that totally changed the course of how we understand science and medicine. It's amazing.
0: I think you should work on the screenplay for that. <laughs> I think that would be great. That's
1: probably the job for someone else. <laughs>
0: that would be good. Well, it's time for us to go to our first break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605 692 1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group.
2: Did you know that someone in the United States has a heart attack every 40 seconds? A heart attack happens when a part of the heart muscle doesn't get enough blood. You might hear a heart attack called an MI or myocardial infarction. The more time that passes without treatment to restore blood flow, the greater the damage to the heart muscle. If you have pain in your chest, call for help. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Group Brookings, six nine seven nine five zero zero.
0: Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605 692 1430. 605 692 1430. Our Prairie Doc topic this week is infectious disease, and Dr. Kelly Evans was telling us about some of the early history uh, of germ theory and how we have a lot to thank those early biologists for mm. as they figured all of these germ theory things out. Dr. Evans, tell us about how the germ theory led to the discovery of penicillin and being able to treat Bacterial infections Yeah So penicillin
1: was discovered You know the story goes Kind of accidentally Penicillin was a chemical made By a mold actually Or a fungus Um, And this scientist Basically discovered that he was trying to grow bacteria and kind of had an infestation or a contamination with this mold and the bacteria wouldn't grow. So Mm. that ultimately led to, okay, what is causing to these bacteria not growing? And ultimately this discovery of penicillin, which was also a total landmark event in, in, you know, the history of medicine, the first um, antibiotic that we were able to use. Um, That was in the 1920s, I believe. And then I would say over the next 50 to 60 years, between naturally occurring and man-made antibiotics, a lot and most of what we still use as far as antibiotics were developed in that time frame. Um, that development has kind of slowed. We haven't had a lot of new antibiotics in the last 20 years. Um, but, you know, that has changed what we're able to, I mean, we can treat very sick people to cure now with because of antibiotics, mm-hmm. these diseases that, you know, killed, you know, a lot of otherwise young, healthy people even at times um, are, tr- are treatable diseases. Then we, It's hard to remember that they were not 100 years ago. Yes. These were not treatable diseases that people came in with, you know, pneumonia and sepsis and and these kinds of things. Um, the interesting thing is, you know, almost 100 years down the road, penicillin, penicillin still has its place. There mm-hmm. are some bacteria that are still very um, sensitive to penicillin. So things like... Um, you know, it's your typical strep throat. Um, group A strep is still penicillin sensitive, so we use penicillin for that. Um, there is the example of syphilis. So, syphilis, which penicillin is actually like the most and really only highly effective antibiotic to treat that particular infection. But not that, when it comes to the number of bacteria that we're treating, not that many are still sensitive to penicillin. And that's because bacteria, as biological organisms, have mechanisms to evolve their DNA in ways that can evade some of these antibiotics. And so that's a bigger, you know, probably a bigger problem than we than we could have predicted 50 or 100 years ago, that we actually would lose the efficacy of some of these medi- medications that were highly effective at one time.
0: Right. Yeah. So, are there some diseases or issues that we were able to treat and now we can't? Have you seen? Yeah, so there,
1: I, I would say there's not. There's a couple examples of of places where we're pretty concerned about okay. really not having a good antibiotic choice to treat. Um, one that has been true over the last ten years is actually gonorrhea. So, gonorrhea, we still treat with uh, a an injection medication called ceftriaxone, but there have been reports of. Um, strains resistant to that in different parts of the world and there's really not an alternative. So there that type of bacteria is a place. There are now um bacteria, so I can think of actually a handful of my own patients who on when, when they have a urine infection, we typically will culture those in the lab. And they grow strains of bacteria. The most common would be E. coli, but but not all are that. That are pretty much resistant to all of our pill antibiotics. So oh. these patients, I know that if they get a urine infection, there's a good chance that our only way of treating them is with an IV, even if they're not necessarily otherwise sick enough to require IV antibiotics. Um, so we see that tuberculosis is a place where there was a lot of development of resistance until we were treating with multi-drug regimens. Um, and and that's been, you know, decades ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- there have been uh, numerous examples where we really have, there have been times of concern where we really might not have good treatments for these things that we could once cure.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. What are some ways we can help slow down the evolving... Antibiotic resistance. Yeah, it really
1: has to do with antibiotics exposure. I mean the the way bacteria develop resistance is by sort of adapting to that exposure and then passing that on to that lineage of bacteria, right? So it really is sort of this overall in a whole population, how many antibiotics are we using? Um, and of course, there are many times where there's we have to use antibiotics and we have to aggressively use antibiotics because we want to treat the infection. But in times where they might not be necessary, I think even in the last 10 to 20 years, I've seen both physicians but also the public be a lot more conservative with use of antibiotics for example and things like you know upper respiratory infections if you come in with a cough or a sinus infection do we really is it an antibiotic really warranted or should we give it some time to see if it's viral and could run its course mm-hmm. um, I feel like when I was a medical student if if you tried to sort of talk patients through that there was a lot of pushback and now that's most of the time when I talk to patients about that people are pretty accepting so I actually think that the public is aware of this as an issue Um and maybe just aware of, you know, not wanting to take something that might not necessarily help them in that moment. So I think we are doing better, but it really is. It's sort of a this big global effort. I mean, no one person can solve this problem, right? right. This is because we all have the chance of catching a, a bacteria from some other source. Um, no matter what we've done as an individual, so it's really a bigger community problem.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like when we were kids, it was common to maybe go in if you've had a cold for a few days. It was common to go in and maybe mm-hmm. expect an yeah. antibiotic, uh, perhaps you know. And um, that's not the case anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like I said, I think I think not only
1: you know, healthcare workers, but the general public is definitely more aware and accepting of that, which is a good thing. Right. But it's it's really our job to know when, because if you need an antibiotic, you know, if you're ill enough, um, or we think you have something that can only be fixed with an antibiotic, then of course, that's the treatment. Right. Um, but to, if there's uncertainty, or if we're pretty pretty certain that this is not a bacterial cause that's likely to be helped by an antibiotic, then we should not do it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. All right. Well it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Dock Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at six oh five six nine two 1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group.
2: Influenza has made its appearance. If you have not received a flu shot, get one now. Symptoms of influenza are fever, fatigue, cough, runny nose, body aches, and decreased appetite. Generally, influenza makes you feel much worse than the common cold. If you have questions about influenza, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group, Brookings, 697-9500.
0: Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here answering our medical questions. Give us a call with your questions at 605 692 1430. 692 1430. Before the break, we are talking about antibiotics. And Dr. Evans, I wanted to follow up with, when is it appropriate for us as patients to possibly go in to see if an antibiotic is the appropriate treatment? Yeah.
1: So I, I mean, I think if you're uncertain and you feel pretty sick, it's never the wrong answer to be seen. When it comes to symptoms, if you're having kind of common cold and sinus symptoms, what I usually tell people is, um, if it's kind of as simple as that. We generally don't treat things like sinusitis until people have had symptoms for more than 10 to 14 days. That's purely kind of statistical. We can't look at someone or look at a feature of their sinus infection or illness to say this is bacterial versus this other one is viral. But purely that time course probably weeds out most of the viral things, which should self-resolve and makes it more likely that someone has a bacterial infection. So so, some of the things like that are actually duration-based. Um, Now, if you're worried you have strep throat, then you should go get tested because, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, strep throat we do want to treat with an antibiotic. A lot of pharyngitis or sore throats are actually viral, but to test is really the only way to be sure to know or at least get examined. Mm -hmm. Um, The cough can be harder. I mean, if you're prone or if if you have an underlying disease that makes you more likely to get pneumonia, then probably that should be checked out. But most coughs are also viral, including bronchitis and that kind of thing. So I think if you've been ill with you know, either upper respiratory or cough type symptoms, and it's gone more than 10 days, and you're not sort of at that point of gradually getting better, it's not unreasonable to get checked out and see if you might benefit from an antibiotic. Before then, you know, most of the time, we're not going to offer that. Now, there's other reasons to be seen. I mean, if you're yes. having cough and you have asthma, you might need a treatment that's not an antibiotic, but will help treat your asthma mm-hmm. um, and that kind of thing. If you're worried that you might have COVID or influenza, it may be um, reasonable to go get checked out. So that's it's hard to make a blanket statement about that. But when it comes to your typical sort of cold and sinus stuff, it is sort of a duration-based recommendation. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. There's more benefits to going in and getting checked out than just getting a Exactly. And sometimes, you know,
1: sometimes people are relieved to say, I think this is just a viral cold and your Mm -hmm. lungs sound good. And I think you're going to get better within the next seven days. Like that's reassuring. And and that in itself is valuable, too. So. Right. Yeah. It's don't I don't ever want people to feel bad or guilty about going to get checked out if if you're worried about something.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Dr. Evans, are vaccines mostly for viruses Mm -hmm. or do some vaccines treat bacterial infections? Yeah,
1: so there are a lot of vaccines that actually prevent bacterial infections. You're right. A lot of our vaccines and a good chunk of our childhood vaccines prevent viral infections. Okay. But I can think of a good number of examples of vaccines that we give and recommend pretty universally that are to prevent bacterial infections. So, those would include um, streptica- strep pneumo. Um, so, we do that in adults, but also in kids. That is a very common cause of bacterial pneumonia, but also meningitis and some other really severe illnesses. Um, Kids now get a vaccine for haemophilus influenza, which also kind of causes the same spectrum of disease from pneumonia um, to even meningitis. Um, We give bacterial meningitis vaccines usually to teenagers, often before they go off to college or the military or something like that. Those meningitis vaccines are bacteria that we're trying to prevent. Oh, tetanus is a bacteria. So tetanus shots are to prevent a bacterial infection. Um, Diphtheria and pertussis, whooping cough, are also bacteria. Those are often mind into a vaccine. So, yes, it's a, the, the vaccines that we recommend are a combination of some are bacterial, some are viral.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, the infectious disease we've all been talking about now for more than two years is COVID-19. Mm. Uh, what do you think we've been learning from COVID-19 that will change the future for infectious disease prevention and mitigation?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think some of the lessons learned are entirely sort of about how our public health infrastructure can work Mm -hmm. and maybe where it doesn't work very well. um, It's hard to know if we're going to sort of act on those lessons that have learned. Unfortunately, that takes sort of, you know, government funding and all these things that are sort of stickier topics to actually talk about as a society. But I think that is probably the biggest place. I think one really amazing and encouraging thing that came of this is how quickly a vaccine was developed Mm -hmm. um, and really a life-saving... Um, death-preventing vaccine, um, which, you know, faster than I would have predicted it was able to happen. So I think that was a positive that came of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I remember when we were talking about it in those early days, like, we all just have to be prepared. It's going to take a long time for these vaccines. But, uh, yeah, it was exciting to see how quickly there were some options for vaccines.
1: Right. I mean... Really, about a year from when the first cases were being described in China to when they were those vaccines were rolled out across the world, so yeah, um, yeah amazing, really,
0: yeah, yeah. So what are we currently seeing in the clinics and hospitals regarding COVID-19? It,
1: honestly, it, it, it's a little harder to say right now because okay. so many people are using home testing. Mm-hmm. I think some of that's great to some degree, but it right. makes that question hard to answer for me because we don't have reported numbers. We, I think we had a lot of COVID this summer, and mm-hmm. maybe that slowed down. We're seeing a lot of other viral illness, especially in kids, but that's a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Um, RSV is back and some enteroviruses and stuff like that, which are making our kids sick. But hard to give you a firm grasp on COVID numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, I have yet to see a case of influenza, but it's definitely being reported kind of heavily, especially in the southern United States. So it's coming. I think we don't really know what our flu season is going to look like, but we should probably be prepared for at least a more normal or, or more severe influenza season than we've had the last couple of years. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have a few minutes left if you want to call us with your questions, 605-692-1430, 605-692-1430. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio, and we will return following this informative
2: message from the Avera Medical Group. If you have diabetes, these lifestyle changes can help lower your risk for heart disease. Follow a healthy diet. Eat more fresh fruits and vegetables, lean protein, and whole grain. Aim for a healthy weight. If you're overweight, even losing a modest amount of weight can lower your triglycerides and blood sugar. Get physical activity. Try to get at least 150 minutes per week of moderate intensity physical activity, such as brisk walking. Manage your ABCs, A, your A1C test, B, keep your blood pressure below 140 over 90, and C, control your cholesterol levels. S stands for Stop Smoking or Don't Start. This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Call your provider with questions or to set up an appointment, 697-9500. Welcome back
0: to Prairie Doc
2: Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc
0: physician, Kelly Evans, is here to answer our medical questions. You can give us a call at 605-692-1430. 692-1430. We've been talking today about infectious disease. Dr. Evans, remind us what are some of the best things we can do to prevent getting sick and from spreading disease to others? Yeah.
1: well, vaccines, I would say, probably top the list. It's definitely time to get your flu shots. If um, if you haven't gotten your annual flu shot yet this year, I try to encourage people to get it before November 1st. We tend to see our first cases of influenza in South Dakota typically in that mid-November time frame. Um, so there's still time. And, you know, even if it's by December, there's still time to definitely benefit from that. Um any other vaccines that you haven't had but would be recommended for your age group it's a worthy conversation to have with your primary care physician and then I you know you were asking what what do you think we've maybe learned from COVID I I hope as a society one thing that we can take away is to not be going to work and school sick like we Mm -hmm. generally do you know (laughs) I mean it's it's um it's just part of our kind of work culture and stuff that Mm -hmm. you suck it up and go do whatever you're supposed to do even if you're coughing and sniffing and feeling terrible. Mm -hmm. Um, But that just, you know, brings, even if it's a common cold virus, you know, frankly, your coworkers don't want your common cold virus either if you're sneezing and and coughing it all over. (laughs) Right. That's all it is, right? Right. So I hope that our workplaces can be a little bit more kind about that. We don't have, we just don't have a great sort of sick leave culture in in the u.s right now um but i I would encourage people to think harder about staying home when possible when you're sick
0: staying home might be the right thing to do i know even when we're making those decisions it's like well you really should be at school or you really should be at work or whatever but sometimes it actually is the it, yeah. You really should be home. It is. It's, yeah. and it's,
1: I get it. I have I have young kids and, you know, to try and keep them home from school, I had to do it last week one day. It's painful to right. figure out, OK, <laughs> who's going to stay with them and all, all of these logistic things. I get there's a lot of incentive to not do it. And right. it's hard for families a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the other things are the basic sort of in infection spread prevention measures that we again we've learned a lot about over the last couple of years. So keeping your face covered if you're coughing or sneezing, mm-hmm. I, there's nothing wrong with like if you are getting over a cold and need to go to work, like why not wear that mask? Right, that, pull it back out that you maybe haven't been wearing for a while. I am continually if I, when I think back to three years ago when as a physician. Of course, like everybody else, if I was sick and had a miserable cold or sinusitis or whatever, I went to work, didn't cross my mind to wear a mask to go see patients. Like yeah. I'm appalled at, that that's the case at this yeah, point, you know we've learned um, <laughs> to just to try and prevent like protect others. yeah, um and then, of course, plenty of hand washing. And that kind of thing. Um, the, it's all basic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I feel like even food service has changed a little. You know, yeah. like we're all just more aware of what we're all touching and how right. that's going to work. I know we stopped at a fast food restaurant when we were traveling recently and all all the, like, the ketchup packets and everything, all those things that are usually just out were not out. Mm. You had to ask for them. So I'm like, I bet that's like a post-COVID thing. Like they yeah, don't need everyone touching Decreasing all those things. Decreasing the touches. Yeah. So I'm like, that's okay. Sensible. Yeah. yeah, right? So <laughs> all these – changes to help us uh, stay healthy. Well, Dr. Evans, tell us about your television show uh, tomorrow night on STPB.
1: Sure. So it's a show broadly on infectious disease. So we could talk about anything that we've talked about today and more. Um, Our expert guest will be Dr. Jawad Nazir. He's an infectious disease physician um, at Avera McKinnon in Sioux Falls. He's been doing this a long time. He's a huge champion of antibiotic stewardship, which is a big, you know, kind of a hospital-wide thing that all hospitals have. Um and so he's the expert in all things when it comes to infections, treating and preventing infections. And he's been a guest on the show before. He's wonderful.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Well thank you. Before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for on call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at seven PM Central. This week on Thursday, October 27th, Prairie Doc host Kelly Evans will be discussing infectious disease with Dr. Jawad Nazir from Avera Medical Group Infectious Disease. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and will listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube. For free and easy access to the entire Prairie Dock library, visit www.prairiedoc.org And look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Home would say, stay healthy out there, people.